Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. For the last few weeks, we've been in a relationship series. Was last week good? Don't, don't push me into counseling. Um, probably today's message next to last week, which was how to stay married for a lifetime. The week before was, was how to ask forgiveness, how to truly apologize. Today's is probably pretty, pretty important. Uh, the, the title of today's message is called Love is a Battlefield. Um, I was talking to someone who's yet to be married, and they were in the lobby earlier in the previous service, and I said, well, uh, today's message is for you. And they said, really? I said, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to resolve conflict in marriage, like how to have a good, healthy fight, and what an unhealthy fight is. And she goes, oh, we don't need that. I said, you don't need that? She goes, I mean, not like right now, we're not in a fight right now. In other words, they both agreed to come to church and go eat at Piccadilly afterwards. But love is a battlefield, and how you navigate that is incredibly important. But let me remind you of something that we see happening all over culture. If you want to know what God wants to use, all you have to do is look at what the enemy's attacking. And there has been an all-out assault on the family for now 40 years. First, divorce. No-fault divorce began in California in the 70s, and it was a shocker. You used to have to have a reason to get divorced. Then it was on fatherhood in general. And then all out on the family. And now, remember, a father's job is to name, claim, and bless his children. When Jesus came from being baptized, God said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Your job is to name, claim, and bless And when you don't have a father in the home and you don't have the family and you don't have anyone name claiming and blessing, then children are left to self-identify. And we are now living with a generation that's trying to figure out not only who they are morally, foundationally, ethically, they don't even know if they're male or female anymore. And and I, I will tell you, and we're going to talk about this here in just a moment, you, you can take and you can give a female all kinds of male hormones and all you're going to have is a masculine female. And you're, because when God created man, Adam, he looked and he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And you hyphenate that, it means all one. And so God put Adam to sleep and he took the rib out and he formed and shaped. He took the part out of him that is gentle. Come on, man. He put the part that is soft, He put the part that is kind, and he put the part that's irresistible, okay? And then he woke up man, and now Adam was half of who he used to be. And when they came together, they would be one. So 
a woman is completely different than a man. A man is completely different than a woman by God's design. That can't be changed. You can feminize a woman and you can uh, feminize a man, masculize, is that a word? Ask Siri. That's who I ask whenever I need to know words. So today's message is love is a battlefield. And many of us, you've heard of some famous fights down through the years. How about this one? The Rumble in the... Who was that? Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. How about the Thriller in... You remember that is Muhammad Ali and smoking Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier. <laughs> then, of course, the one that my people have been banned for for years... He's not a Mexican. I don't know why I get to blame. Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. No, no mas, which means no more, no more. Hey, he's like Cuban or Puerto Rican or something. He wasn't Mexican. Get off of me. And of course, who could forget when Evander Holyfield was fighting Mike Tyson and Tyson bit his ear off, bit his ear off. Sounds like some marriage counseling I've done over the years. And then, of course, the famous Cajun rumble that happened not too far back, which is when Conan McGregor fought Dustin Poirier, Poirier, Poirier. The diamond, what is it? The diamond, what is it? Yeah, the da D Dustin, you know who I'm talking about, the guy. <laughs> so next week, we have a really exciting treat for you, ladies. For Mother's Day, we have a special guest woman speaker that is going to blow you out of the water. You're not going to want to miss it. And then the following week, Pastor Jimmy Rollins is going to be here who did spiritual renewal. So I just meant, forgot to tell you. Okay. When it comes to conflict, many of us feel as though if you really love someone, you would never fight, argue, or even strongly disagree. For this individual, they have a theme song for confrontation. You know what it is? Go a little louder on the next one, all right? On the other hand, there are many of you who recognize that people marry opposites. And because they marry opposites, the purpose of marriage is to change and to go through conflict. So you don't mind arguing. Your theme when it comes to confrontation is... Come on. Stop. Stop. I'm sorry. The flesh almost got a hold of me. But for many of you, you know, this generation, Gen X, it's, you know, like, oh, I really don't want to fight. Would you like to fight? No, not tonight. Let's pick another time to fight. Why can't we just? And their theme song is. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? <laughs> I knew that was coming. That was still hilarious. <laughs> Men and women are different. They're just different. I don't care what you do to them, they're different. For example, men speak less than 10,000 words per day. And by the time they come home, they've spoken 9,997 of them. And the only ones left are, yeah, no, and huh. 
Women, of course, speak over 30,000 words a day. So you know what we think, men, sometimes we get a little confused. We think that women want communication. That's not true. Women need communication. A little rowdiness over from this section over. Is the security here? And, and what I mean by that is women don't feel connected to you until you've communicated with them. And so when you get home and they start asking you, you know, how are you doing? And you say, they go, how is work? And you say, anything happen different? You say, you've used all three of your words. <laughs> And then they go, well, nothing exciting happened. At that point, Michelle goes, well, let me just look through your phone. And she'll just go, oh, you talk to them. What did they say? And she'll just do it. So let me just help you. Men, you, I'm really helping you. This is like a pre-Father's Day gift. Matter of fact, we should pass the offering after I share this again. <laughs> but because what I learned a long time ago is if you tell them what they know in three minutes, they won't spend 30 minutes dragging it out of you. So you say, how was your day? What'd you do today? You go, well, the alarm went off. I got up out of bed, looked over at you. You were snoring. <laughs> Turned off the alarm, walked into the bathroom, used the bathroom, came out, brushed my teeth, washed my face, put on my clothes, came back to the bedroom. You were still snoring. <laughs> went through, got the children up, made sure everything was together, made sure they had all of their homemade Lunchables and got them all together, took everybody, dropped them off at school. And then I left from school. I went to work. Work was a little longer than normal. It took about 16 minutes. It usually takes about 14. But, you know, there was some traffic on College Saloon that I wasn't anticipating. When I got there, I went to my cubicle and that guy, you know, T-boy that's right next to me that never bathes, he still stinks, same as I told you before. Sat there, I went through my work, you know, the project that I've been working on. And when I got through, I just tried to avoid him as much as I possibly could. Finally made it to lunch. I went to Tikkun's for lunch. You know, when you go to Tikkun's, Wednesday's meatball. So I got meatballs. I actually got an extra meatball at Tikkun's. So I was eating there and I got through and I got a drink of Dr. Pepper. And then I drove to the office again. And then I finished next to the stinky guy that was beside me, wrapped up a few things, got in my car, drove home. It took me about 17 minutes to get home, and when I got home, I walked in, and you were here, so that's what happened. <laughs> now, men, men, women think that men want physical connection. No, they don't. Men need physical Connection. I think it was one lady that said, if you want to wonder what men want, all you got to do is walk through the house with a tray of food and a bikini. If he doesn't want one, he wants the other. <laughs> so how do we navigate, how do we navigate the battlefield of marriage conflict? Do you know that the quality of your life is determined by how you resolve conflict? It really is. It really is. Probably the biggest relationship paradox. You know what a paradox is? I asked Siri this morning and it told me. Communication causes conflict or a lack of communication causes conflict. And communication is the only way to resolve conflict. You, you can't buy your way out of it. 
I've tried. You, you, you can't, uh, I, I'm going to finally clean the garage because she wanted me to do that. And she's aggravated with me for something I said. So if I go and I clean the garage right now, that'll take care of it. Communication causes conflict and communication is the only way to resolve it. Communication is the bridge of relationships. No communication, no relationship. Little communication, little relationship. Great communication, great relationship. So how do we resolve conflicts in our marriage? How do we navigate a quarrel with our mates? First, let me define two types of fights. One's healthy, one's unhealthy. Here's an unhealthy one. A bad fight is one that seriously alienates you from your mate. It doesn't resolve the root problem. It leaves one or both of you filled with hurt, bitterness, anger, or resentment. This could go so far as saying things that are verbally abusive or even doing something physically that you should not do, God forbid. That's a bad fight. What's a good fight? One or both of you were upset. You waited for the appropriate time to discuss it privately, not at your mother-in-law's house. One or both of you acknowledge that you were wrong, truly sorry, and that you hurt each other. And through this conflict, you saw humility in your mate and a new willingness for both of you to change to, watch this, please God and please each other. In that order. In that order. Why please God first, Pastor Jacob? Why? Well, why can't he just change for me? Why can't she just change for me? Galatians 5.22 says this. I love the Amplified Version. It's the study version of the Bible. It says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His presence that lives within us, is unselfish concern for others. Joy, an inner patience. Not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified their sinful nature together with his passions and its appetites. You see, when it comes to issues of character, because what is the opposite of love? What's the opposite of joy? What's the opposite of peace? What's the opposite of patience? What's the opposite of kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? What's the opposite of those things? Those are all character things. And when I need to change my character, it's not an issue between me and my wife. It's an issue between me and my God and the Savior that lives inside of me. I, I don't need to become more patient for her. I need to become more patient because Christ lives inside of me and that's who he is. I don't need to be kind, kinder for her. I need to be kind because when Christ comes to live inside of me, that is a fruit that he produces inside of me. Why is this so significant? Listen to me. I'm going to tell you this. Why is this so significant? Because if you change for your mate, you expect a reward from your mate. I thought when I started being more romantic, you'd start doing what I always wanted you to do. Well, I thought if I came home earlier and did what you want me to do and cleaning up around the yard and the house and the garage, I thought you'd start doing more of this for me. When it comes to issues of my character, I change to please God and to become more Christ-like, and that blesses my wife, but it conforms me into the image of Christ. Let me share it with you in a better way. Your marriage lives to the degree that you die to yourself. 
Now, I've only been married 41 years and 109 days. But I can tell you, coming from the family I came from, whose dad was married five times, my mom married two times, my dad married seven times, everyone in my family, multiple relationships, children out of wedlock. There was a, there was a flesh pattern in my life. Say it with me, flesh pattern. You know what a flesh pattern is? A flesh pattern is, it's kind of a highway that you're normally used to driving on all your life. Psychologists and psychiatrists tell us that by the time we're six or seven years old, our entire personality is formed. So if you grew up watching your parents fight, that's what you, that's what you default to. You say, Pastor, how about even if I'm a Christian? Look at me. When Christ comes to live inside you, he changes you. He comes to live inside of you. But the next step is you must begin renewing your mind with the Word of God. When I became a Christian, how many of you saw the movie The Jesus Revolution? Okay, when I became a Christian, the Jesus movement in 1971, hair was down to here. They looked at me and they go, you know what's wrong with you, dude? You became a Jesus freak. You were a Jesus freak. And you know what I would tell them? Jesus doesn't make freaks out of people. He makes people out of freaks. You should have seen me before Jesus got me. And then they would look at me and go, but dude, you're not smoking dope. You're not chasing girls. You're not partying like you used to, man. You've been brainwashed. And you know what I would tell them? If you knew what was in my brain, not just mine, yours too. It needed to be washed. So when Christ comes to live inside you, that's step one. Step two is you have to begin taking God's word and creating new highways in your mind. It's called renewing your mind. Matter of fact, my, my son, Haddon, who's at home because he had his tonsils taken out this week, he, he came to hear me at, at, at 9 o'clock last week, and then he went to hear Dr. Scott at our Midtown campus. Dr. Scott has two PhDs. And... Uh, he said to me afterwards, he said, Daddy, he said, I want to ask you something. He said, I'm not just being critical, but I just want to ask you something. I said, okay. He goes, Dr. Scott teaches the Bible verse by verse. Like, why don't you do that? I'm like, Dr. Scott has two PhDs. Okay, I was glad to graduate from high school in the lower 3% of my class. You heard us people that get graduated magna cum laude? I got graduated cum laude, cum laude, cum laude. <laughs> That's a true story. But what I just is a true story. My English teacher looked at me my senior year and said, I should fail you, but if I do, you'll come back and preach to me next year, and I can't stand it, so I am passing you. True story. But look, look right here. Learning how to resolve conflict. This is, this is something that all of us are going to experience and you better learn to be an expert at it because you're going to be living with people the rest of your life and the person closest to you is going to be your mate. You're going to be your mate. And the fruit of the Spirit inside of you is the only way that you can live a healthy marriage or you're going to live incredibly miserable and frustrated. Here's the truth. I didn't know any way but the way that I saw. So, so you know why I teach the Bible as practically as I do? Because when I read the Bible, I don't read the Bible for information. I read the Bible for application. Like, okay, how do I live with difficult people? Okay, how do I forgive people I don't want to forgive? Okay, how can I stay married? Because my legacy, my 
children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my money, my mar- everything rests under the shade of my marriage. And nothing can replace the success or failure of marriage. No accomplishment in this life. I don't care if you're Tom Brady or Tiger Woods. I remember reading a quote recently from Shaq who said, the happiest days of my life was not when I was a half a billionaire. It was when I came home and I had my wife and my three children, but I was too stupid to realize how blessed I was. So I change so that Christ can live inside of me. Well, pastor, if I'm doing that, is there going to be conflict then? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what should we do? Healthy couples do three things. Number one, they normalize conflict. Then it's normal. It's not a, <gasps> it's, it's normal. Number two, they expect it. They expect it. And number three, they prepare for it. They prepare for it. Without conflict, there's no real intimacy. There's no real intimacy without conflict. Have you ever been with someone and everything seemed great and they were the nicest person all of a sudden something happened to them and they started cursing like a sailor and you go, where did that come from? Their mouth. And before that, it came from their heart because the Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. So it is conflict that not only builds the character of Christ inside of me, it's, it's actually I begin to see what's really inside of me. So the difference between healthy couples and unhealthy couples is this. Healthy couples have decided in advance how they're going to resolve conflict when it comes because it's coming. Anybody been married longer than five years? Raise your hand. Does conflict come? Anybody been married longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Does conflict come? Anybody been married longer than 25 years? Raise your hand. Does conflict come? Okay. Anybody been married a year? Shut up. You don't know anything. Put your hand down. (laughs) So what are the wrong patterns of resolving conflict? Well, most of us fall into two categories. It's pretty generalized, but it's true. There are those of us that stuff it. You stop it. You just try to not to say anything. You're like, something is done, and you just kind of like, you're like a deflated basketball. And when something happens to you, you go, <sniffs> something else happens, you go, <sniffs> something else happens, you go, <sniffs> and then finally, the last thing happens, and you, and you blow up because you've been stuffing it. You've been stuffing it. Okay, when you are a stuffer, you live frustrated. People are trying to figure out what you're aggravated and mad about. It's like reaching into a dark closet and you never know. That's a terrible thing to put on your mate. That's a terrible thing to put on your mate. That is a terrible thing to put on your mate. Then there's the speakers. Something happened. We need to go home right now. We need to get, get, up, get in the car. We're going home and we're going to discuss it all right now. We're going to get all this out because let me tell you something. If you think something's going to happen to me, and we're going to be, let me tell you something. You're Pastor Jacob. Hey, we got to talk about it because need, honey, we just need to get along. We need to be real. Are we going to be real? We're going to be raw. We're going to get down. We're going to have it. We're going to tell it. It's coming out. Okay. And in this person, emotions rule. 
Let me share something with you about emotions. Emotions are not loyal. You know why they're called emotion? Because they're in motions. They're in motion. And if you build your life on something that's here and there, one day in your love, one day you're out of love, one day, I can't tell you how many people that made stupid decisions in the middle of being emotional that would look back and tell you right now, I would go back, redo it, and I would have stayed. I would have fought through it. Look, look at me. There's two types of hard. Doing what's right is hard. It's hard. Obeying God's word is hard, but you don't do it on your own. He's with you, and you know it's going to get better. But look at me. Doing what's wrong is hard and hard. Okay, It's hard now because you're living with the consequences. It seems easy for the moment, but it's only going to get worse. When you do what's right, it's simple, hard, and then gets much better. When you do what's wrong, it's real easy. Then it becomes real hard and real complicated and real difficult for a long time. The Bible says that the way of the person who doesn't do what's right is hard. So that person is ruled by emotions. Most of us fall into three categories when it comes to conflict. We either avoid it, ignore it, or confront it. Everyone here falls into one of two categories. You're either a peacemaker or a peacekeeper. Let me explain the difference. Say it with me, peacekeeper. Do you know right now in the Philippines, we have about 20,000 soldiers on an Air Force base in Alangapo, and they call those people peacekeepers. Now, there are millions of people in the Philippines. Do you think they're actually keeping peace for all of the Philippines? Answer, not at all. But they're just a representative. Do you know what happens to us if we become peacekeepers? It's like, oh, don't say that. That's good. No, that makes them mad. Oh, no, do that, Mama. You know what, Mama? I know. No, don't, don't even look at my mom. And yeah, that's when she comes. You know how that is. No, here, no. you know how my daddy is. He's going to bring up politics. When he talks about Donald Trump, you just smile. <laughs> when he talks about Trump, you look like Biden. You just, just, just let it go. Let it go. Just let it go. Whatever it is, just let it go. Act like you're 80 and you don't know where you are. <laughs> just, just. Look, and you're always going around exhausted because you're always tying everybody and never dealing with the real issue. That's peacekeeping. But then there's peacemakers. And that's people that know there's an issue that, hey, if your husband's looking at porn, that's an issue you're going to have to cross. You can't ignore it. If you blow up and you do destructive things, male or female, okay, we might not deal with that at this moment, but ultimately that has to be addressed or we will never truly have peace in our home. If your child's doing something and you're concerned about it and you know it's destructive, you ultimately have to wait for the right time and you have to deal with it. You can't ignore it. Is this okay? Okay. Men who are married to confronting women sometimes give up their leadership role. They, they feel like they lose their manhood. They kind of freeze and kind of shut down or just leave. Women who are married to passive men lose respect for them. And inwardly, they represent being the initiator of having to deal with the kids and the difficult decisions that are emotional that you don't want to deal with. So, Pastor, how do we have a good fight or healthy conflict? In the last 10 minutes, I want to share with you how we have 
a healthy fight in healthy conflict. How many of you know the difference between the UFC, the World Boxing Organization, and the WWF? Okay, what does the WWF stand for? Okay, now, don't get mad at me. I know some of you look at me and say, Pastor, I won't be mad at you. Okay, that does not encourage me. I'm not telling you. Look at me and say, Pastor, we won't be mad at you. Okay, look right here. How many of you have ever watched wrestling? Raise your hand. Okay, on the count of three, yell at your favorite wrestler. One, two, three. Okay, can I tell you all a, a bit of trivia? I was the chaplain for The Undertaker. When I was 19 years old, actually 20, <clears throat> I was the chaplain for a, ba a basketball team, and The Undertaker was on our team. And the coach set up a situation for him to go overseas and play basketball, but he said, I want to go to wrestling school. And we looked at him and thought he was crazy. He became The Undertaker. So what is the difference between UFC the World Boxing Organization, and the WWF. Huh? So, say it loud. I, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. What did you say? Wrestling is fake. I know some of you are going to have to go to the Freedom Conference again. Wrestling is fake. It's not real. When I was a kid, my parents would drop us off downtown Houston, the Houston Coliseum. And back then, the famous good guy, his name was Wahoo McDaniels. Anybody remember Wahoo McDaniels? Thank you, all the old people. I love you. <laughs> Wahoo McDaniels, he was like the good guy. And there was a bad guy, his name was Johnny Ballantyne. Of course, we had Andre the Giant. Remember Andre the Giant? And me and my sister, we were those little Mexican urchins that were getting autographs, you know? And then one time... Johnny Ballantyne brought iron uh, brass knuckles into the ring when he was fighting Wahoo McDaniels. And while the ref was turned this way, he started hitting. He was showing the crowd and he was hitting him. And we we're screaming, turn around, turn around. And, and the ref was not looking. He won't even, we're yelling at him to turn around. I didn't know that before that, both of them were eating nachos and smoking cigarettes in the back. And, and, and now here, here, here they are, and I'm screaming at them. My sister and I, we followed. We followed him. We followed Johnny Ballantyne. We followed him to his car, and we spit on him and at him, and my sister kicked his car because while he was doing that, while he used these brass knuckles, then another guy came and threw him a chair, and he got a chair, and he started hitting him, and the ref was looking like this, and he's hitting him with the chair, and you're saying, turn around, turn around. Little did I know. Say it. You said it. I don't want to say it. It's hurting people. It's fake. If you believe wrestling's fake, clap. If you don't believe it's fake, we have counseling here at our Savior's Church. <laughs> Could help you. What is the difference between those two? One has rules and the other one doesn't. One has rules and the other one doesn't. And so today, I want to give you the five healthy rules 
of a healthy fight of how to resolve conflict God's way. Number one, stay in the ring. Say that with me, stay in the ring. You, you can't leave in the middle of a fight. You can't just blow up, peel out, take off. Why do men do that? Remember every girl that broke up with you, when she broke up with you, you go, I'll show her. You go in the car, put the car down into second. Burn two quarts of oil and a half a tank of gas, but you feel better about yourself. You need a new set of tires now. <laughs> but you, you're a man. You showed her, somebody breaks up with you, you're really going to harm your car <laughs> to show her what a man you are. Okay, listen, Proverbs, eight, uh, Proverbs 18.1 says this, he who willfully separates and estranges himself from and man seeks his own desire and pretext to break out against all wise judgment. When I'm angry, you know who I start listening to? My three worst counselors, me, myself, and I. Me, myself. If you could take every person that's done a foolish thing in their emotion that wasn't on drugs, if you could go back to that moment, they would look at you and go, I was just so angry. I was just so upset. And they began listening to those three voices. You can't leave the ring. One girl that I was counseling looked at her husband and said, my daddy left me when he left my mama. My mama left me. My boyfriend's left me. You can't leave me too. You can't leave me too. Stay in the ring. Number two, no low blow. Sit there with me. You ever heard this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but is that a lie? Many of you here dress the way you dress because when you were 15, somebody said something about you. And to this day, that still shapes yourself every time you look in the mirror. Someone said something to you when you were six or when you were 16 or 26 and, and that ex that left you and it scarred you. And still to this day, you wrestle with that area of your life because of something someone spoke over you. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and are in the power of what? And those who indulge of it shall eat the fruit of it for death or for life. That's why you can't say divorce. That's why you can't say divorce. That's why you can't say divorce. Because let me tell you what happens the moment you say that. You, you, you remember when, when, when you were dating and in the world and you said, if you really love me, you will? Okay, from that point on, you never got that person's heart. You might have got a part of them, but you didn't get their heart because all they did was motivate themselves by fear. You didn't have a relationship. And if you look at someone and you use that as a threat, then you don't ever get the true them. You just get the them that's responding out of fear. No low blows. No releasing words out of your mouth that you can never, ever, ever take back. Let me share something with you that's a powerful biblical principle. When my words come into agreement with God's words, it releases God's will into my life. Okay? I ask God to forgive me. 
If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Father, forgive me. I ask him to forgive me. My words come into agreement with God's words. Forgiveness is released to me. Look at me. But when your words come into agreement, not with God's words, but with the enemy's will and words for your life, then when you come into agreement with it, it begins to sow seeds to bring the enemy's will into your life. That's why you can't say that. It's not an option. And when you say that to someone who came from that experience, it's a, it's a, it's a low blow. It's a low blow. Number three, no foreign objects or people brought into the ring. You're just like your ugly daddy. <laughs> your daddy was a lazy drunk. Your granddaddy was a drunk. And you just like all the other Boudreaux. You can't bring an area where you're right into an area where you're currently wrong. Say that again. You can't bring an area where you're right into an area where you're currently wrong. If you got a drinking problem, Okay, and he says, we need to talk about that. You go, yeah, but I'm better to you than most women are to their wives. That's what, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. But when you talk to him, hey, I saw what you're hitting on the computer, and it's degrading, it's grieving to God, it's degrading to me. It's like, well, I'm better to you than most men are to their wives. That, that's not the issue. You can't bring an area of where you're right into an area where you're wrong. That was a lot better than your response, but that's okay. No foreign objects. No mama, daddy. No, right before we got engaged, you ran off with Shamika. And you and Shamika had a fling. And every time y'all get into an argument, how long ago was that, baby? 25 years ago, but I still remember Shamika. She's on Facebook. I saw her. She's stalking you. And she's putting a picture. That's her high school picture. She hadn't looked like that in 25 years. It's true. No foreign objects or people brought into the ring. Number four, you must give a standing A count. What's a standing A count? Somebody gets knocked down, and then what does the referee do? One. And what is he going to see by eight? He's going to check and see what? If he can continue fighting. Sometimes we need a small break. Sometimes we need a little small break. I know those of you who want to deal with the problem. We always going to go past Jacob's head. The devil will not give a foothold to the devil. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to get out. I'll chase the devil out. Chill. Drink some NyQuil. Ephesians 4.26 says this, when angry, that's what, we, that's what we're tempted to sin so much. Do not sin and do not let your, or your fury or indignation last until, why? Leave no such, or for, give him, no what? Don't give him an opportunity. I mentioned this last, last week. Do, do you know, my brother-in-law, who's a marriage counselor, I was talking through this, some of this with him, and he said, you know, Tara and I have a code word. 
Okay? Just, just a general question. How many of you here, when you're in the heat of an argument or disagreement, like you don't think well? Okay. And your emotions rule. And you give a foothold to the enemy. So he, here's what Pastor David said. He said, I have a code word that she and I have agreed on. My code word is, I'm going to check my post office box. I said, do you have a post office box? He said, no. He said, but what that means is, we agree that I'm going to leave for one hour. And one hour later, after I've thought about it and prayed about it, then I'm going to come back and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk. I'm not doing that to avoid anything. I'm doing that so I can think about it clearly. I have a saying I like to use, pray it before you say it. Come on. Say, say that with me. Pray it. One more time. Before you. So when you get to God and you get the car, can you believe that she said that to me? Let me tell you something. I, I, God, I would tell her something. You, you know what I've discovered in 41 years and 109 days of marriage? You know how many times I've been successful changing my wife? Come on, ladies. You like saying that. It's like cheerleader group. Zero, 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 zero. Like that's your code. He starts talking to you and you go, zero. Look, look at me. Look at me. But you know what I can do? When I go back to the old Aranza flesh pattern, the old Aranza flesh pattern says, ain't no woman tell me what to do. I got my will. I found another woman. That's the Aranza flesh pattern. So in those moments, I need to pray it before I say it. And do you know what happens when I talk to God? And I go, God, why don't you change that Cajun woman? And he goes, I'm currently talking to a Mexican. If I can get to him, then I'll start working in her. But I'm starting at the top before I go to the next level. And so listen to me. I've never changed her. I've hindered the Holy Spirit speaking to her by the way that I acted. But when I participate with the Holy Spirit, here's how I like to say it. I have one goal when we're in an argument. I want one person to be corrected by God and it not be me. So if somebody needs to apologize, guess who's apologizing first? Me. Matter of fact, one of my children, I'll protect his identity. He's in Houston. He's a pastor. Uh, Christian called me one day. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm so mad at Alex. I can't even stand it. I said, why? He goes, <clears throat> she's like a fitness expert. I said, okay. He said, I'm doing push-ups. And she looks at me and goes, you're doing the push-ups wrong. <laughs> he said, I looked at her and said, if you say that one more time, I'll never work out with you again. Next day I started, she goes, you're doing push-ups wrong. <clears throat> he goes, I am so mad. I stopped. I left. I'm not working out with her anymore. I am just so mad. And he said, and then the worst thing is, 
I'm the one that has to apologize first. Then he goes, Daddy, do you know anything about what I'm saying? Now remember, I've only been married 41 years and 109 days. And I said, yeah. He goes, you do? I said, yeah, mom. I'm usually the first person to say I'm sorry too. He goes, that doesn't bother you? I said, mama has other ways of saying I'm sorry that I like better than I'm sorry. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. And he goes, that doesn't bother you? I said, not at all. Personally, I like it. I don't care if she ever says I'm sorry again. <laughs> But do you know what happens when you don't resolve conflict? You know what happens? Listen to me. You know what happens? Everybody here probably has your name written in cement somewhere. Remember when somebody was pouring a slab and you went over there with your friends? Come on. You go back there. T-boy likes Skooky. <laughs> Put a little heart around it. Okay. Now watch this. You could do that because they just poured it. But what happens if you come the next day? It's not moving for the next 50 years. Do you know what happens when you let hurt, unresolved conflict sit overnight? It creates the leading cause of divorce, the final stage of divorce. It's not anger. It's not tears. It's not fear. It's indifference. You don't care. Just don't care. I don't care. That's what happens when you're hurt and it's layered over and you're hurt and it's layered over and hurt and you're layered. It just becomes what Jesus called hardness of heart. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above what? For it determines what? The course of your whole life. The course of your life. Here's the final one. I know I've gone late, but it's worth it. Your marriage deserves. You've stayed and watched the saints play late, and they lost. <laughs> so you're going to win today. You're going to win the way. All right. So here we go. Number five, call over a referee. Call over a referee. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no wise guidance is, the people, they fall. But in the multitude of, there is there's safety. There's safety. Everyone needs a counselor, a marriage coach, a couple that are mentors to them. Everyone needs that. Everyone needs this. The safest thing your family can have. Look at me. There's no success that replaces the success and fulfillment of your marriage and family. None. 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 So look at me. Every relationship you have is a fence, a hedge, protecting it. I like to say it like this. Everyone should have someone that K-N-O-W-U, that means that can N-O-U. Everyone needs to know someone that can say no. Look at me. If your world was falling apart in your marriage right now, who would you call? 
quit your call. I'm going I'm to show you something. <laughs> Let me show you something. How many of you have a fence at your house? Raise your hand. How many of you have a security system at your house? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have a Mexican security system, a chihuahua? You have a dog. Come on, you got a dog. Raise your hand. Okay. Look at me. How many got a gun? Raise your hand. Okay. Look at me. Don't you think if you have a fence, a security system, a car, I mean, a a dog, and look at me, and a gun to protect what when you die, three years later, your children are going to sell and buy a camp? Don't you think you should at least have one person that you can call when your world is falling apart? Look at me. When my wife says she's calling my pastor, I go riding the king. Baby, why can't we just get along? There's no reason to call Pastor Jim. Does she do that? Absolutely. Has she done it lately? Absolutely. Do I stop dead in my tracks? Absolutely. Am I a 64, almost 65-year-old grown man with 100 employees that can do whatever I want? Yeah, as long as she and my pastor agree with it, I can. (laughs) Do you know what? I'm not afraid of authority. And I'm not afraid of having people in my life that love me enough to speak truth to me, that care enough for no monetary gain whatsoever to stop and to speak into my life. They are a fence around my marriage, a fence around my family, a fence around Joseph and Rochelle, a fence around John Wesley, a fence around Christian and Alex and Finley Kate and Shiloh and Jacob Jr. and Amberly Grace and Timothy. They are a fence to the most valuable, cherished things in my whole life. In my whole life. Look at me, young people. Let me tell you something you you don't know until you get older. All that matters is your children and your grandchildren and the significant people in your life. That's all that matters. I know your BFF is there. Your BFF won't even know you five years from now. Your BFF will get a job for Heidelberg and move to Taiwan. <laughs> but your wife, your children, the significant people that God's put with you to walk in your life. Look at me. Those are the gifts from God that are fences around your relationship. Would you bow with me right now? I want every married couple, if you would, take your mate by the hand. Father, today, we know that the enemy hates these hands that are joined together and that every time one falls apart, hell rejoices. Every liberal agnostic and atheist says, see, it doesn't work. God isn't real. Jesus doesn't change lives. It's all just a head game. Jesus, today, come by your Holy Spirit and weld together a new peace in every marriage here that we will never speak the word divorce again, that we will stay united because united we're undefeated even through the difficulties of life, that we will stand together in obedience to you. In the hard times, 
in the times that we fail, we'll get up and fall in the right direction again or walk in the right direction again or crawl in the right direction again because you'll never leave us or forsake us. That's the promise. We're not one failure away from you. Every time we fall, we fall into the grace of God and your goodness and forgiveness to carry us back to what's right and honoring to you. Today, we bless every marriage and every family here. Hold these hands held together, represent children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that being born again. I know it's what I need. I know it's what I've always needed. I want to know God. I want Christ to come and live inside me through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called being born again. Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me? I need that, and I know I need it now. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Raise it high. I'm going to pray for you. Okay. 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 All right. You can put your hands down. Put your hands down. Now look up at me just a moment. Everybody look up at me. I know I'm going late. Michelle and I sat across and had lunch with somebody that know me since I was a teenager yesterday at her house. We began talking and when I was 25 years old, this man and his wife were going through marital issues and it was infidelity. His wife called me and told me and I called him and tried talking to him. He said, I'm not willing to give up this relationship. I'm living with her. She's a girl much younger than my wife. I called him the next day, same thing. The next day, the same thing. Two weeks later, he called me and he said, Jacob, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I'll do anything. Michelle and I were living in Lindale, Texas at the time, two hours away from where he was in Fort Worth. And he said, I'll come do anything. I said, I want you to come and I want you to live with Michelle and I. I want you to get everything you have. We'll help you get a job. And we'll help God be a part of God restoring your marriage. He drove two hours from there to where we were living in Lindale. And when he got there, he looked at me and he said, I'm free. I said, what happened? He said, well, everything she gave me, I threw away on I-20. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, she gave me a tie while I was driving down I-20. I threw the tie out the window. He said, the last thing she gave me before I left, I was broke, was $100. I took the $100 and I threw that out the window. They lived there, he did, for almost six months. And then we remarried, him and his wife. Yesterday, he looked at me and he said, Jacob, we just celebrated 50 years of marriage. And I want to thank you. Two of his sons are in full-time Christian service preaching the gospel. All of that rested under that one decision. That one decision. What's sitting under the weight of your marriage? Who's sitting under the weight of your marriage? 
Let's stand together. Pastor Joseph's going to pray for you and bless you. I don't know how you're going to close this, but <laughs> get after it. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just pray. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace as you're going out and as you're coming in. May that all that you have set your hand to, may it be for the kingdom and may he prosper and may he bless it. And as your pastor, I bless you in the name of the Father, his son Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you all for Mother's Day.